0: Welcome to Connected with Emily Obey. I'm your host. This is a podcast dedicated to having conversations that matter to help us feel connected to ourselves, to each other, and to the world we live in. You'll most likely never find me on a volleyball court because I was once kicked out of a grade nine gym class for being so bad at it the teacher thought I was fully messing with him. You will, however, find me writing books, coaching people on how to have a successful online business through effective content marketing and copywriting, and helping people heal from adversity to live lives that truly feel good and make an impact in our society. Stick around, because I ask the questions we're all wanting to know the answers to. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Connected with Emily Obey. Today on the show, we have my great friend, Stephanie Kerlick. And she is going to be on the pod today talking about giving up on our long-term dreams. And I know that's a bit unconventional to say, but it's going to be really, really sweet to have her perspective on things because I know a lot of you struggle with giving up things that you thought that you wanted for so, so long, and realizing that wasn't the thing that was really going to make you fulfilled. So Stephanie is going to give us her perspective on that today, and we're also going to jam on things such as chronic illness and how to take care of ourselves through the different seasons our life brings while having um, a limitation in terms of bodily function. So Stephanie, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. How are I'm you? Nice.
1: I'm so excited to be here. Um, I'm good. Not great, but I am doing okay.
0: I love that. Before we press record, um, I said, how are you? And we just said, good, good. And I said, so how are you really? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then we got into the things that Stephanie has been living in her life that have been challenging. And it's so good to go to the truth of that because I think we're so conditioned to just say we're good and we're great because that is the way that it's polite to express ourselves and we don't then put the burden on other people or we don't feel awkward and vulnerable and expose ourselves. So I love that you're good, you're not great, but you're okay.
1: Yes, Um, yeah, and I absolutely agree. I mean, and I am um, definitely a big offender of saying just I'm good or you know, how are things great um, when really the truth behind that is usually the opposite. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you don't want to be a burden or you don't want to look like you're looking for attention. And so I've been trying to be more truthful with my responses. Um, if the only reason is that, then I know that I am not just faking it through my life and whether or not the other person responds to it or not is, is, not, is kind of irrelevant, but yeah. um, instead of just faking it all the time.
0: And, you know, in the spirit of Connected, that also creates a connection to ourselves, right? To actually say the truth and to be authentic about what we're going through that doesn't allow disconnection or disembodiment from our own experience. So ultimately that makes us feel better no matter what another person responds, right? How do you Absolutely.
1: Feel about that? Yeah. I, I completely agree. I mean, I, sometimes I, when I'm just sort of going through the motions and like pretending to be okay and giving people the answer they want to hear, I sometimes forget that I'm actually not okay. Like I I definitely don't feel okay. But when you're – what you're expressing all the time is, I'm good, I'm fine, yeah, nothing's wrong, or you're just sort of powering through, you definitely – for me, I have a disconnection from my own experience, and then I feel – like, which is true. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. If if you're only speaking your truth so that you, you're connected to yourself and your own experience, then that is enough.
0: Yeah. So the podcast is about having conversations that matter to help us feel connected to ourselves, to each other, and to the world that we live in. And the first question that I'm asking all my guests who are so lovely to come on the pod and jam with me is – when was the last time you felt truly connected to something someone yourself give us some insight on where that deep moment of
1: connection was last appearing for you that's such a really great question um i think because of what i do um for my job which is support college students through usually not great moments Um, I do really try hard to be connected in those moments. Um, and one student in particular is coming to mind that I've been working with now for like probably two months, pretty intensively. And, um, we just met yesterday. And so it's a, it's a time where I really have to sort of Tune out everything else that's going on, regardless if it's going on with me. Like, I wasn't feeling great yesterday. Um, I had just met with another student who had unloaded a lot and was crying, and it was really stressful. Um, But I then had to transition quickly and really connect to this student because that is what they were hoping to get from me. And that is kind of my job. Um, and they're going through a really hard time. So being able to truly be present for them and, and receive everything they're saying to me instead of just being like, okay, it's four o'clock on Friday. Can we just get through this so I can start my weekend? Or, oh, my head really hurts. Or man, that other student is going through a lot, like being able to really tune it all out um, and drop down into that actual connection with another human being um, can sometimes be challenging, but I, I do have to work really hard at it because that's what the students are, are looking for, and that's where true connection and true growth is happening when I can be in that present moment with that student, um, and at the end, they walk away saying, wow, I actually feel a lot better, and I feel like I can move on from this experience, um, so, I think it's something I actually have to to work at finding that ability to be connected every day multiple times a day because you know I never know what's about to walk through my door. Mm. Oh,
0: Steph, I love that perspective that connection is so intertwined for you with being present and attunement basically
1: absolutely. I mean you can be engaging in a really deep conversation, but if you aren't drop down into that present moment and you have, you know, we all have that sort of real going on in our mind of like the to do list or your personal comfort. I'm cold right now. I'm kind of hungry. I wonder what's going on with so-and-so and we all have that and and that's normal. Um, but for me, the moments where I feel like truly connected to myself or to someone else is not only when I am maybe, you know, having those more meaningful conversations, but that I'm also truly present to that other person or to myself so that the conversation matters.
0: Oh, I love that. Yes. And that is also like so much of the underlying theme for this podcast. So I love that so that you can be present so that the conversation can matter. Yeah. Because if you're disembodied or you're disengaged um, in terms of attunement with another person – you're there but you're not like there there with your heart and Absolutely. your mind and even your soul i'd say right mm-hmm. like
1: yeah and it can be other people and it can be yourself like i am someone that um it's much easier for me to be present and connected when i am doing it in the service of another person um But for me, a lot of the work is finding that same presence and connection in the moments where I'm with myself instead of numbing out or distracting um, or just going through the motions of, you know, meditating and journaling, but really not actually connecting to it, just doing it to check it off my to-do list.
0: Okay. Yeah. And you and I relate on that so much because I was actually listening. So Steph has a great podcast called Rethinking It that I was on over the summer and I was listening to, I think it was a solo episode or maybe not. I forget which one it was, but you, I listened to all of them. So Thank you, you. <laughs> of course. So you were talking about at one point in your life before you met Andrew, who is your partner right now, um, you lived alone, um, for quite a while, correct? Yes. Yeah. And you were explaining how, um, even if you lived alone, you were not even connected to yourself. Like there was always the TV playing in the background. There was always something that you were numbing out with essentially.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I lived alone for, um, like seven or eight years. Um, and, but I really never, I never was in silence. I never was in stillness because I was so, even though I wasn't aware of it always at the time, um, I wasn't prepared to connect with myself and deal with myself. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I always had the TV on. I always was in motion. I always had a distraction, whether it was, you know, just grabbing, you know, a bag of cookies and just eating it, even though I wasn't actually hungry, or just watching the same movie over and over again. Just always had to have a distraction. Um, And for me, it was either usually um, like, My computer or the television or work. I became someone that was obsessive about overworking as a way to not have to be connected to myself at all.
0: Yeah. So, in those ways, like we were so similar. And so, I currently live alone. Um, I've lived alone. I, I mean, there was a little break in time where I attempted to go marry someone in another country. However, Um, I've been living alone for about a year and a half now, and this is like my first time in my life that I live completely alone, like without roommates or without family or without a partner or whatever it might be. And, um, I find it extremely difficult to just connect with myself. And for example, like cooking by myself is a bit of a a lonely experience for me because I have to be in the present moment and in connection with myself. So I have to feel what's there. I'm doing it, but it's difficult. Do you relate to that?
1: Absolutely. And when I did live alone, I never um, cooked for myself. I ordered takeout pretty much every day for that entire time I lived alone. Yeah. Um,
0: which was like seven or eight years, which was like significant yeah. amount of takeout.
1: Yes. Um, yeah. And Or like convenience food, like you know, a frozen thing that I could just like heat up in the microwave or something. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really think about it, um, as not wanting to be connected to myself or in the present moment. But yeah, looking back, that was definitely part of it. I mean, a story I told myself at the time was, oh, it's such a waste of time to cook for one person. Yeah, Like what crap is that? Like then I'm not, I'm saying I'm not worth nourishing myself because there's not another person with me. Um, but also you do have to be in the present moment. You have to think about what you, you know, what your body needs right now. And then you have to take the time to do it. And if you're not present, you might chop your finger off and then you have to clean up. And mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely, I mean, I always had to have something that was outside of myself that wasn't about myself to just distract me. Um, because yeah, it, it can be um, hard to just hang out with yourself.
0: Yeah. And it's um, that's why I'm admitting too. Like I'm in the thick of it, and 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 I'm I'm showing up for it, but it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious as you're sharing all of this with us. How did you start, or even if you're in the process of it currently, how did you start being able to drop into a present moment with yourself, and connect? Um, without using any kind of distraction to avoid what was there? When did that happen for you or has it just started happening? Shed some light
1: there if you want. Um, it's funny. It never actually happened when I was still living alone. Um, yeah. I just was a master distract- distractor and like, I have lived my entire life trying to just numb out. Um, and so once I moved in with Andrew, which was seven, ago, seven years ago or so, Um, I that's when I actually had to. I was starting to be confronted with being comfortable with myself because I also had to be comfortable with another person, right? Um, and uh, there you know although we live together obviously we're not together all the time and so it was interesting for me to be living with a partner but then also like he is traveling for work or he's just you know off doing his own thing and i would feel so lonely and at sometimes like terrified cuz i also moved into his house so i was not in sort of my comfort zone um and so i was feeling Like alone and scared and I couldn't figure out why. And that's when I had to really start getting comfortable comfortable with being alone with myself, with my thoughts. Um, And it's always a process. I mean, I still, my default is always to numb out or distract. And so I have to work really hard at cultivating that present moment. And for me, it's, you know, doing things like um, meditating in silence, like instead of meditating with music, which is what I always would do, just actually sitting and breathing in silence um, and, and letting whatever is going to bubble up, bubble up. Um, and for me, it's, you know, also things like putting a hand on my stomach and a hand on my heart. So I'm actually like physically connected to my own body Um, That's the way that I, you know, I try and when I'm feeling disconnected or I'm feeling that um, like I can sense like I've been numbing out or distracting, um, that's what I usually turn to um, so that I can just sort of quiet all of the noise around me and actually just hear myself sometimes just breathe, sometimes, you know, hear myself think about what's going on. Um, but try and find those moments where it's just me. There's nothing else. So I have no choice but to get comfortable with being me.
0: Yeah. I think that's a beautiful way to go about reclaiming some embodiment.
1: Yeah. And it's a practice and I, I think I'll be dealing with it, you know, growing from it forever. And there are you know, days and weeks, especially when I'm not physically feeling well, emotionally feeling well, or like work or life or my relationship is chaotic, I default back into um, feeling disconnected from myself. But um, I try and just recognize it and not, not stress about it. And I'm like, oh, I thought I was past this. Like, Try and just be gentle with myself and then do things that I know will help me connect back to myself, whether it's the breathing, you know, sometimes I'll just put, you know, music on and dance um, so that that's a way that I can feel like I'm in my body and I can feel my body moving. Sometimes it's talking to another person and just admitting how you're feeling instead of just saying, I'm good or things are great or, yeah, I'm getting better. Um, Just admitting what's going on is a way that I can remember to connect to my own self and my own experience um, instead of just, um, you know, doing what is more natural to me, which is listening to other people. Actually, speaking and sharing is also a really great tool that I use to get connected back to myself. I love that.
0: Awesome. So I guess my question in my brain that's like firing off right now is why do you personally, like as Stephanie, think that people like you and I (laughs) have a hard time being in connection with ourselves, yet we have a very easy time being in connection with other people? What's your take on that?
1: That's a really great question. I think, I mean, for me, I think partly... Um, You know, growing up as a super sensitive person, which I didn't obviously know at the time that's what I was or that that was even a thing, um, but I always just felt like i I was super sensitive. I also was a perfectionist and a people pleaser. And so it was much easier for me to connect with other people because I didn't have to you know, it was a way to sort of turn off those thoughts of I'm not good enough or it's about me. Like if the attention wasn't on me, amazing. Um, And I could easily show up for other people. And, you know, growing up, people would, you know, friends would always say, you're such a great listener. You're such a good friend. Um, Mm -hmm. And really, yes, I was a great listener. Um, But I wouldn't say I was a great friend because you didn't actually know me at all. Um, I just, you know, you could call call me on the phone after school and tell me all your problems for hours and I would just go mm-hmm yes mm-hmm but I didn't really have anything to share or contribute because I couldn't connect to myself so I think it I, for me it stemmed from those feelings of not being good enough or not wanting to be seen because if someone saw me then they could find out that I'm not good enough and I don't want them to find out so it's better if I just sort of listen and and blend in. Um, and then now I also think, you know, as I layer on the complexities of having um, a chronic illness, part of why I don't always connect to myself is because it's really hard most days to be me. So I'd rather just connect with someone else and help them than have to face the truth of mm-hmm. what, what my actual existence is like.
0: Mm. I'm like smiling, laughing because that, that resonates so much with me. Um. I think also growing up when there's been developmental trauma on board for, for someone um, I think it's a way that our nervous system, create safety for ourselves in, in, in terms of connecting with other people and serving other people and making sure that everybody is okay so that perhaps maybe our needs will be met as well because then if everybody's capable, then maybe they'll be able to show up for us in the way that we need. And it's kind of like a, um, it's a behavior that comes forth from wanting to keep ourselves safe. Yes. But also we are never taught how to empower ourselves from within and resource from within. And we learn to try to micromanage the impression that we give to everyone. So everyone's happy with us. So maybe if we're lucky, we'll get our needs met. Do you
1: resonate with that at all? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah, I think you know, we're not really taught, especially, you know, oftentimes as growing up as a young girl, you're not really taught to, you know, to empower yourself, to have a voice. It's about the needs of everyone else. Mm-hmm. And then when you layer on, you know, feel, you know, any kind of traumatic experience. And I mean, there's such a spectrum and life in general is traumatic. So we all have some mm-hmm. sort of trauma in our past. Um, and if you're not feeling safe, then, that can really, at least for me, translate into, it didn't feel safe to be myself. It didn't feel safe to have a voice, to admit that I had needs. So if I just could take care of everyone else, then maybe through that, I would somehow feel needed or special, um, Or at least I didn't have to worry about being let down because it wasn't about my needs. And if I communicated my needs and they were unmet because someone was unwilling or unable, then that would just reinforce for me that I wasn't safe and no one could meet my needs and so I shouldn't even try. And so just to outwardly just make it about everyone else.
0: Whoa, yeah, I resonate with that. So it sounds like connection for you and to yourself has been a long journey, literally like home to your body.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, and it's only in the last, you know, six or seven years that I've even started to cultivate that connection with myself um, because really I had structured my life completely around not having to do that, whether it was, you know, even the, the career that I chose, like my job is to disconnect from myself and fully show up for another person and although it's very fulfilling and it's very meaningful work it still is, is a way to remove myself from the equation right and being you know always being the person that my friends would want to call up to talk through their problems with and oh you know overworking and it, it just was always a way so that I didn't actually have to even get to know myself. And so it's been, you know, the last six, seven, eight years where I've really been very intentional with that. Um, and it's certainly not comfortable, but it it is allowing me to actually be present and engaged in my life um, instead of just going through the motions.
0: Yeah, which is like phenomenal. So you said something along the lines of – You know, it's not pleasant to be me (laughs) Um, with the chronic illness layered upon your life experience. So that makes me think about accepting chronic illness. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about if when you accepted that you were sick, because I know if you guys want to listen to our episode on Steph's podcast, um, it's called Rethinking Chronic Illness with Emily Obey. I'm pretty sure, right? Yes. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about how Steph went to um, this functional doctor, I'm pretty sure. And then you kind of saw that there were test results that kind of were indicating that you were sick. And that's when you started admitting to yourself and accepting that you did actually have like a chronic illness issue. And this wasn't just like a spiritual manifestation of bad thoughts.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, so I um – i'm in my late 30s presently and so for my entire existence up until about two years ago i have never felt well um i always felt sick i didn't really know what it was i just thought maybe this was like my constitution like i just am you know not not sort of a healthy person um and over the years throughout my childhood, my teens, my 20s, I saw many doctors, many specialists trying to figure out what was wrong. And repeatedly, I was told that nothing really was wrong um, and that it was in my head or I just, um, you know, I was making something out of nothing. But I always felt like something isn't right here. Um and then two years ago, I started working with a naturopath, and she ran the tests that I had been begging, you know, more traditional doctors to run for years and years. And the results came back showing um, that uh, not only did I have an illness, but I was quite sick. Uh, and that was a really interesting time because I remember, th- you know, be- between getting the tests and waiting for the results. I felt really, um, conflicted because part, there was a huge part of me that was hoping for a diagnosis and then there was the guilt associated with, wait, I'm hoping to be sick. Um, but really what I was hoping for was to have my own intuition validated. Um, And then when the results did come back in and I remember sitting with my doctor and she's like running through test after test and she started with all of the good things first. And I didn't know this at the time, but she was going through, okay, this test negative, this test negative. And I was sitting there thinking, Oh my God, she's going to tell me that this is not real. That what I'm experiencing isn't real. This is all in my head. This was my last shot. Who else is going to believe me? And then she gets to the last few tests and I remember it so clearly. She said, um, she gave me results and I didn't really understand what they meant. And I said, what are you saying? And she looked me right in the eye and she said, Stephanie, I am saying that you are very, very sick. And I just started bawling. Oh, that, Um, I, I, that gives me like the tears in my eyes too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and then, you know, then I had to sort of rethink everything about who I am and my experience and what's true and what's not true. And then think about how do I move forward, knowing that I have these illnesses that I've probably had a lifetime um, that are going to be very challenging to start to heal from, just because it's so long standing. And you know, my you know, I've, I I have chronic Epstein Barr, and so the levels were like uh, through the roof high, um, and chronic Lyme, and a lot of co-infections, and so having to start to like heal each one and they're so connected um and so I yeah I really had to accept that you know my I couldn't f- I couldn't fight it anymore and I couldn't pretend that I was fine anymore because I I finally had like the actual scientific evidence that I was sick and then I had to re you know Reestablish what my new normal was going to be instead of just constantly like fighting over it or pretending it wasn't there. Um, and I'm still in that journey. I mean, I'm only two years into, um, you know, knowing about this and trying to heal it, but it's still, you know, there are days where I still feel like I am completely at war with my body where I'll catch myself saying things like, I'm never going to heal. This is such a waste of time or I'm always going to be sick or I, I hate this. Um, And then there are other moments where I feel acceptance of it and the ability to just coexist with it. Um, So I'm still, there still is that tension between being at war with my body and then just coexisting with my illness.
0: Yeah. Okay. I have so much I want to unpack there. First, I want to say that it takes so much courage and bravery to be connected with yourself in that way and to accept that because the truth is there, right? And when you know the truth, it's really hard to ignore it. And like you said, like you couldn't deny that this was real anymore.
1: Yeah. And I had been, you know, dreaming of knowing the truth, but then when I was confronted with it, I did there was part of me that had to sort of mourn the loss of my normal life, even though for years I had been trying to convince people I was sick. Then having a doctor tell me I was actually sick, I was like, oh, crap, wow. I I am sick. And now I have to move through life as a sick person um, instead of, you know, I, I guess part of me had been hanging on to that hope that maybe maybe it was all just in my head and maybe I wasn't really sick. And so, yeah, being able to – being forced to confront the actual truth was really, really scary. But also, you know, also along with that comes the good. It's empowering and freeing and I can move forward. But still um, – Yeah, but to to go there takes that courage and that bravery, right? Absolutely, yeah. And um, I think – it, it continue you continue to need to have that courage and bravery because this is something that I'll be dealing with likely for the rest of my life and so it's easy uh, especially since most of my symptoms are invisible to everyone else. Um, it's very easy to pick up you know, that same old story of maybe it is all in my head or I'm not really sick or I look fine because everyone tells me I look fine. So am I not fine and why am I not fine? And so constantly having to have that connection with myself and the bravery to admit the truth um, every day forever,
0: yeah, and that's like true connection with yourself, really. Yes. Yeah, because you're accepting of what is true and what is real for you. Right? Yeah, and
1: and not trying to fight against it. Um, yeah. this is something you know that I am still very much trying to work on. But you know, the the difference between being committed to healing and believing that I can heal, but not fighting against it. Right. So for me, I think of it as just instead of I'm trying to cure chronic Lyme, I'm trying to get rid of Epstein-Barr. I'm trying to coexist with it so that we, so that I can live a life regardless of whether or not I still have bacteria and viruses in my cells, right? Instead of I'm trying to get rid of them. Mm. And when I'm trying to get rid of them, those that's the time where I'm disconnected from myself, where I am not I'm not actually healing because I'm putting so much pressure on me and my doctor to fix me instead of just figuring out how to, you know, take care of myself in a way that allows me to move through life regardless of what the tests say. Yeah. And that's a beautiful way to put it.
0: I think it's a unique perspective that people could potentially take years and years to arrive to though.
1: Yes, and I. There are days where I fully live that is my truth, and then yeah. days where I am completely in the opposite of that. And I either, um, you know, feel like I'm never going to heal, so I'm not even going to do any of this stuff. I'm just going to like you know go back to my old ways, or I'm going to be so hyper focused on fighting it and getting rid of it. Um, yeah, so you know, finding that surrender to it and that acceptance is probably a lifelong journey for me. Yeah. And
0: okay, so I have two things. One of one of them is I actually personally went to a naturopath in the past couple of weeks because since June of this year Um, I have felt a little bit off, and I eat, like, really clean. Like, I've healed a lot of different symptoms, different chronic illness things have really kind of shed from my life since being plant-based, which is something that I discussed on your podcast um, that helped me tremendously. But, I don't know, since June, I've been feeling, like, really weird, and – of course, there was a lot of like trauma that's just happened in terms of like emotional upheaval in my life in the past months. So it makes sense that I'm so fatigued or that I have some some symptoms that are more aggravated. But I was just like, I need to go get tested because I can't tell if this is in my head or if this is like real and I need to like address things in a different, more powerful way. So I went to the naturopath and I'm still in the... In the process of doing different tests but I tested really high obviously for um, like just from urine sample from for parasites bacteria and viruses and I think I like tested the way that they do it just with the urine I'm gonna do in more in-depth testing after but they just test your urine for how much bacteria there is in it I guess I am NOT exactly sure how it all works but anyway the result was like really high. It was like 80% out of like 100. And there was like a piece of me that like walked out of that office, like, oh fuck, like I need to do more work here and I don't want to because I feel like healing can be so exhausting. And at the same time, I was like, I knew it wasn't in my head. <laughs> so, like, there was a piece of me um, this week when I went to see my naturopath, as we're going to do more testing. That's, like, really excited to do the testing and also, like, really afraid because, you know, kind of exactly what you were describing, it's, like, there's a level of acceptance that is required for you to kind of coexist with an illness, and I sometimes stay on the edge of that. Like, I try to be, like, no, no, like, I've, I've healed holistically. Like, I'm, I'm good to go. Like, there can't be anything else wrong with me, Right. Um, and that's where I'm at right now in the spirit of, like, just being connected with myself. There's a part of me that really wants to get results that are going to show that there is something weird and bad happening because that's how I feel, but at the same time, like, I don't want to take on that need to accept that and live my life like that. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it totally makes sense, and I... I mean, I connect very deeply to that because that's also something that I'm going through. Yeah. Um, And it's funny. So in June, that's the last time I saw my naturopath. And I said to her at the time, I need a break from being sick. Mm. And she said, what do you mean? I said, I just need a break from like being obsessed with like what time do I have to take my supplements? And like my whole life was around healing. At least that's what it felt like at the time. I mean, that isn't necessarily true, but that's how it felt to me. Like every day, my whole existence was around being sick and how I am trying to heal. So I said, I just need a break from being sick. And for me, what that meant was I need a break from doing anything that is going to look like healing. So I stopped taking all my supplements. I stopped going for treatments. I just stopped everything, Mm -hmm. Um, which I, you know, emotionally needed at the time, physically, not the smartest. (laughs) Um, and I just wrote my naturopath yesterday, um, and said, I, I feel really sick. So this break from being sick didn't really help me. Um, and all of my symptoms are, you know, heightened right now and I'm not sleeping and I'm in a lot of pain and I can't digest anything. And, um, I have and I think I talked about this on the episode with you. I I I've had this skin rash on my face and my scalp for almost 2 years. Yeah. Um I didn't know when we spoke um for the episode of my podcast what it was and I have since found out that it is a fungal infection um like I have the my, same thing deep into layers so it's only on my yeah. face and my scalp. Um mm. and so I have been, you know, trying to to heal it just topically but that hasn't been working um, mm-hmm. so now I'm gonna take some antifungals and also try and address it from like the gut level but still um, yeah so f- you know th- finding that balance between accepting that you're sick but not c- crafting your entire existence around trying to heal because like you yeah. said it's freaking exhausting you yes. have to work every single day at trying to heal while also being a human being living a life, right? It can take over your whole life and figuring out how to create a balanced existence um, is definitely something I am still trying to work on and I hope I find it one day. Yeah.
0: And with that, I'm tempted to just start talking about the things that piss you off that people do around chronic illness. (laughs) Because I'm thinking like, I'm thinking just about my dad and like, bless his soul, I have a great relationship with my dad at this time in my life. However, like he is convinced that I'm not sick and he's always been convinced that I'm not sick since I've been sick, basically. Um, So like, even if I get a diagnosis, like for him, that's not real. And, um, I was talking to him about these results that I got at the naturopath this week. And my blood pressure is really, really low right now. And, um, I was saying, well, no wonder I always like feel so faint and so dizzy and whatever it might be. And he just told me, no, no, you're just like stressed. There's been stress happening. And you know, it's a just, it's a naturopath. So there's always like, he was like, it's a naturopath. They're going to overreact type of a thing. Right. (laughs) So like, I have always been in this dynamic in my life of having like an actual chronic illness and then being met with like some of the closest people to me, not believing that I have that. So that also like disconnects me from the truth. It disconnects me from myself. It makes me feel like whenever I have symptoms, like it's something to do with my mental capacity or emotional capacity that I'm not handling well. Um, things like that. So I'm it's just so hard for me to be in that situation where I have symptoms and I guess I'm looking for validation from my father in that situation, but he's not giving it to me and he's never really given it to me. So I'm just thinking about that as we're talking and I'm like, okay, well, let's get into what bothers us about being chronically ill and living in the world and being in relationship with other people. Do you want
1: to do that? <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I mean, a lot bothers me. Great. <laughs> right. So I, And what, I have a and I, you know, I have a similar situation in that my mom is a nurse oh, okay. um, and so she she has gone back and forth between feeling like believing I'm not sick and perhaps I am sick, but not agreeing with the route I'm choosing to take, right? So okay. for years, because she was the one carting me around to all these medical appointments when I was growing up, um, you know, she she never said that something wasn't wrong with me, although she never said something necessarily was wrong. It sort of was, uh, I'm not, I'm just going to not pick a side. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, in high school when I was, you know, having, at that time, most of my symptoms were chronic pain, especially chronic migraines to the point where I could not function for days at a time. Um, You know, it was, Oh, maybe, maybe it's, you know, Something's going on with your brain. Let's get an MRI. And so it was always looking for a very traditional medical diagnosis and a medical treatment. And when I started working with this naturopath and got these test results, her first responses were, well, how do you know? How does, your, uh, how does the naturopath actually know how to read the results? What's her training? Um, yeah. What kinds of tests are these? Are they real tests? I'm like, yes, it was a real test. What's Epstein-Barr? I don't know. Oh, you have Lyme. You need to take antibiotics. And mm-hmm. so um, while she doesn't necessarily not believe that I'm sick, she doesn't believe that any of the things I'm trying to do to heal have any value whatsoever. Okay. Um, and so that is something I think that, that definitely really frustrates me just in general about chronic illness is, um, the sort of disrespect for any kind of more natural, holistic healing. And just, you know, as we, we, and we really got into this conversation, um, on my podcast, really just defaulting back to pharmaceuticals as like the solution for everything. Mm Yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely a major frustration for me, but there, yeah, there's a ton of things that just really annoy the crap out of me about moving through life with a chronic illness and having to encounter other people's opinions about it.
0: Yeah. And kind of like, do you think, so like, just because we're speaking about our parents um, in this context, do you think that for them to accept that even if we're grown adults, um, for them to accept that we're sick, they kind of need to look at their own behaviors and their own past um, and how they perhaps contributed to our issues, and that they don't want to do that
1: yeah, I think that definitely could be part of it um, I mean you know so I, I can only speak for my own my own experience I think you know my I think my mom when I finally told her the results of my tests i I would imagine there was a part of her that was like, Oh holy shit, she was sick all along and I never really fully, maybe fully believed her or pushed hard enough for testing. Um, and so there could be, you know, naturally some some guilt or some some shame around that as a parent, knowing that your child has been maybe suffering for a long time. And, you know, wh- how did you contribute either to that suffering or a lack of, you know, um, you know, support or, or healing around it? So, I, yeah, I think – um, I can't obviously speak for my mom, but I would imagine that's part of it.
0: Yeah. Cause I was, I'm asking your opinion on it because I was, I was trying to understand like my dad's stance on it. And my dad has had actually some pretty severe health issues. Like he had a lot of, um, heart issues and he had a pacemaker, um, and then he had to get a heart ablation, which is basically they literally laser off the bad parts of your heart. So like he's gone through like some actual heavy duty procedures and health scares and things like that. And sometimes I wonder like if he looks at me and he's kind of like, this is nothing. Or if he looks at me and is like, I don't like if it gives him anxiety, like I try to understand where he's coming from to like be more understanding and not take it so personally that the way that he's approaching something that's really real for me and that is honestly the biggest struggle that I face in my life to not have just the acknowledgement that it's real is hard, right? So I try to look at like, oh, like why is he coming at it from that angle? And sometimes I think, well, it's maybe because then he'd have to admit that he contributed to this to a certain degree or maybe it makes him too anxious to even like go there with me or maybe he just thinks it's not a big deal. So I just – maybe it's a bit of all, you know? Yeah, I would
1: think it – yeah, I think it's likely a bit of all. Um, And I think that's something – you know dealing with a chronic illness that is mostly on the inside, yeah, I think it 's really hard to move through life, just whether it 's family coworkers, just random people um, you know it's real It can be really frustrating and really isolating when you feel like no one believes you or you somehow have to prove your illness to them um, in order to have any validation because you know, you break your arm, you can see that and you know how to treat that. You have, you know, an overgrowth of bacteria and viruses invading all of your cells. Well, how do you know that's true? Right. <laughs> and how do, and then how do you fix that? And if it's something chronic, then there, people want a happy ending in general. Um, and so if there is no ending, then is it really real? Are you, you know, do you want attention? Um, then you, if you're, Someone like us who uh, turns to holistic practitioners, there's a lot of just opinion about what's real and what's not real. and And so, yeah, I think there's a lot wrapped up into how other people react to our illness. And I try and remind myself that um, that my experience is real and true, and it doesn't matter if they don't believe me, although it's still, hurts and sometimes you know when someone's like oh oh i don't know you seem fine Mm -hmm. i'm like wait am i fine um and it still will hurt me and it will i'll be angry at them i'll be angry at myself i'll feel like what's the point of even being truthful Mm -hmm. um but still trying to always just remind myself that what i'm going through is real even if no one else believes me
0: yeah yeah and that's a huge part, too, that in my journey, I guess, like, this this conversation is making me connect to the fact that, you know, being sick is the greatest challenge that I face in my life, and sometimes it makes me feel like, I don't know, it, It's it feels so overwhelming that I just kind of shelf it. Do you relate to that?
1: Absolutely. I mean, and that was, you know, partly... What led up to me saying to my doctor, "I need a break from being sick because yeah it it definitely um, I agree it's the biggest challenge I face in my life because it's the one that's with me every single day where other things like if you you know are going through you know a a tense moment in your relationship or you get in a fight with a family member or you lose your job those are all challenging
0: mm-hmm.
1: absolutely but there's another side to get to yes. um, if you have a chronic illness uh, sometimes yeah you can heal you can you know reduce the symptoms um, but for me at least the truth is I will always be sick whether or not I always feel as sick as I do right now but I will mm-hmm. always have this forever
0: mm-hmm. and so
1: I always will have to be managing it and part of me is so angry about that like why the hell do I have to do this this is not That I have to be sick forever, Um, Mm -hmm. and so sometimes I my way of sort of raging against that is to pretend like it's not happening, Mm -hmm. and what that ultimately leads to is I get sicker, right? Mm -hmm. So it, I sort of am hurting myself in the long run, but sometimes it feels like the only option because I'm so angry at my body, at the world. Um, sometimes, you know, I get angry at other people and this is something that I definitely, um, experience in my relationship with Andrew and I am trying to do better at it, but like he'll be having, you know, a health moment, um, whether it's, you know, just having the, a cold or a headache or, um, you know, something more serious. And I was like, Oh, that's nothing. I'm sick all day, every day. Right. So I have no compassion. Um, and I get angry when he is trying to talk about how he's not feeling well, because in my mind, I'm like, it doesn't compare at all to what I experience, And so I'm trying to be able to have more compassion and take a step back and like, okay, he doesn't, he definitely doesn't understand like the reality of just moving through life as Stephanie, but on the other side, I also don't understand the reality of moving through life as Andrew. And so he might actually, you know, this might be a really bad moment for him, even though it might not necessarily on a scale compare directly to how I feel. It still is a really challenging, uncomfortable moment for him. Mm -hmm. And allowing him to have that experience is something that I, I definitely um, am trying to do better at because sometimes I just feel like you don't get to be sick because I am sick all day, every day.
0: Yeah. And that's actually something I was going to ask you. Like, do you ever get mad at people being able-bodied? Yes. (laughs) Um, Because I do like all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I I (laughs) mean, yeah. Like, oh, you don't even get to complain. This isn't a big deal.
1: Yes, that's exactly how I feel. Like you don't get to complain because if you think your headache uh, is is like the biggest deal in life, like my headache is ten times that, and it's all day every day. Um, so yeah, I definitely get angry um, at other people which ultimately leads me to get angry at myself because then I just feel guilty for being a jerk. But, um, but I think that's part of it. I mean, when you are dealing with something you like, you never get a day off from this. I can never take a vacation day from being sick because even when I'm trying to pretend like it's not happening, I carry it around with me everywhere, whether it's, I have a really bad headache or, you know, I am so bloated. I look like I'm five months pregnant or, you know, Two days ago, I was walking to the parking lot after work and an ambulance was coming through the intersection, so I had to run to get across the street so I could get out of the way. And I, since then, have had such intense pain in my ankle, right? And- A normal person um, could have walked, ran across the street and not had any pain. And now I'm like hobbling around because my body is breaking down and I feel like a 200-year-old woman. And so I definitely – I mean, I think the anger is part of it and denying it or pretending like it because, you know, it's not not the greatest um, approach. It's not polite. It's (laughs) It's not polite. It's it's dramatic. Um, But it's okay to be angry because – it's really hard to be sick. Um, It just is really, really hard.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like people who are not sick should call out their privilege? Yeah. I mean,
1: yeah. it, It would certainly be helpful for me. I mean, it would allow me to feel more seen if other people acknowledged that they, this is something that they don't ever have to think about and worry about. Um, where they might, you know, get sick for two or three days. But what I wish is people would then be able to say, wow, I had a cold for two days and I thought I was going to die. I can't even imagine what it must be like for you when you have to feel sick all day, every day. Like I can't even imagine. Um, but I imagine it's very challenging for you. Like having people having that awareness, um, I wish would happen more often and being able to say, wow, I don't even have to think about that. Like I don't have to, when my alarm goes off, think about if I stand up right now, am I going to collapse? Yeah. I can't imagine what it's like to not think about that because that's been my reality for so long. Yeah.
0: And I'm asking that because as you were sharing, I was thinking like, well, it would be easier if you had the validation, like the anger I think comes from the lack of validation that the world gives to people who are chronically ill. Right?
1: Yes. For me at least. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And for me as well. I guess I'm talking like, you know, personally in this situation. So yeah, like, hmm.
1: But I mean I don't need, you know, I don't need people going around apologizing for not being sick. Yeah. But I think, you know, if you know someone who has a chronic illness, the the one of the most impactful, helpful things you can do to them is validate their experience because so often we're told that this isn't real, that, you know, and I, you know, I'm told this all the time and I, people mean well. They'll say, oh, you look great. You don't even look sick. That to me, what they're trying to do is provide comfort to me and and I rationally understand that. But how I interpret that is, oh, well, maybe I'm not really sick. If they're telling me I don't look sick, I seem fine, then maybe this is all in my head, right? Even though I have the test results to prove that it's not. um, So really what I, you know, when I'm encountering someone, what I dream they will say is, how are you doing? Or, um, you know, I'm sorry if you're having a bad day. Instead of trying to convince me, That everything is fine even though their intentions are pure and they're really trying to be supportive for me as someone that lives with a Chronic illness every day. I need more people To validate that it's hard to move through life instead of trying to like pump me up and cheerlead me through my life like actually just you know instead of instead of that fakeness um, or that like just glossing over it to actually validate that this is happening to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and the validation then would give this relief. It feels like, you know, I can like feel it viscerally.
1: Yeah, because otherwise you feel invisible because if if no one can understand what it's like to be you unless you also are going, you know, going through a chronic illness. But then everyone's, you know, pretending like you're fine all the time, whether that's because that's more comfortable or you actually seem and look fine. And I'm someone that is high functioning most of the time. Like I power through my work weeks. My, do- my job is intense. I like I said earlier, I'm sh- I it is my job to show up for students in some of the most challenging moments of their their life. Mm-hmm. So I'm really good at powering through, which means Friday night, I collapse, right? And usually on the weekends, I'm in bed until three o'clock in the afternoon. I don't leave the house. No one knows that. No one sees that part of me. Right. So if you just encounter me at work, I, you likely wouldn't even know that I'm sick unless I tell you. But if I tell you, then believe me. Mm. Um and not and don't just come back with oh I can't even tell or oh you seem fine. Well, yeah, I seem fine because I'm freaking faking it. Mm-hmm.
0: That's really helpful for people to hear to know that this is what can help people in the situation that you know they can't help that you know we're chronically sick essentially. Right.
1: Yeah, and I th- I mean it's natural to want to try and help someone um, and. Oftentimes, what we think of as helpful is that more cheerleader, cheerleadery, like you can do it. Don't worry, you're okay. Um, but for someone who is chronically ill, what they are just craving is someone to acknowledge with them that this is really hard, and you might, you're probably exhausted. And is there anything I can do to help you? Right? Yes I mean, that's what I was gonna say do you do you crave help as well yes and yeah. I it's really hard for me to ask for help yeah. uh, I mean I just had an experience um, two days ago at work like I I went to the dermatologist in the morning and he checked the the fungal infection on my in um, and said, it's getting a little bit better. I really think it's going to be a pretty long road. He prescribed an antifungal. I don't tend to like always feel like, yay, I'm taking a pharmaceutical. Can't wait. Mm. Um, so I was like not in a great place. And I just generally was feeling not, it, I was having a really bad health day. I walked into work and I saw one of my coworkers. And the first thing she did is she looked at me and she said, oh my God, are you okay? Mm. And I instantly went into the faking it mode. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And she just was staring me down. She's like, what is wrong? You don't look okay. She like grabbed onto me because I think I looked like I was going to pass out because I felt like I was going to pass out. Mm. And she looked me right in the eyes. And this is someone that I, you know, I have a friendly relationship with, but we don't work super close and we don't know a ton about each other. She's like holding on to me, staring me in the eye. And she said, what can I do for you? Do you need me to help you to your office? Do you need something to eat? Do you have to be here today? And I'm like, yeah, I have to be here. I have to present late tonight. She's like, I can do it for you. I know nothing about your area. Give me your slides. I'll do my best. Like, I, let me help you. Mm. And at first, I wanted to just, like, gloss over it and be like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's okay. No problem. Yeah. Um, but then, like, I, I had enough present moment awareness to, like, take a step back and be like, holy crap. One, if, I'm, if someone is saying this to me, I must really look bad. Mm-hmm. Um. And how can I receive her help um, in a way that will allow me a little more comfort and ease in this moment? But yeah, it was really at first I felt a lot of like embarrassment about it because there was the attention and the calling it out that I didn't look well. And then when I could take a you know a few seconds to like take a step back. I'm like, wow, she is actually doing what I wish more people would do, which is acknowledge my experience and then offer to help me get through it. Yeah. And so did you take her
0: up on the offer?
1: Um, She helped me to my office, um, got me some water, um, and then she checked on me throughout the day. Um, I mean, ultimately, I stayed at work and gave my presentation, but you know, she helped me sort of get through that rough moment at work where I was feeling like I was going to pass out because really I did need some water and I needed to eat something. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so, yeah, being able to receive that, um, you know, probably to her seemed like the smallest thing, like to just ask someone if you can get them a glass of water. Um, But to me, I'm like, wow, like this just rarely happens.
0: Yeah. 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 And when someone asks, oh, what can I do for you? Do you feel like you can be honest? Because I don't always no. feel like you can be honest. I,
1: no, <laughs> I usually say nothing, but yeah. thank you for offering. Yeah, so okay, let's go there then. So if, so, like, let's say
0: I were to say, Steph, like what can I do for you in a moment like that? What would be the honest answer? And, you know, remove like guilt or burden feelings and all of that, What what would you say? Like, what did you really need in that moment?
1: Uh, I mean, she partly gave me what I really need, which is someone to mirror back to me what I was feeling. Um, And so I think for me, like the reason I usually say nothing but thank you for asking is because part of me feels like they actually can't do anything. Like what can they actually do? They don't have, you know, a healing strategy for me. So what can they do? But really a lot of times I think what I at least need, one, is to be validated, to feel like I'm seen and then be comforted in some way right? Whoa. Whether that might be, and I'm not like a super like touchy feely huggy type of person, but there's sometimes where literally just having someone else like hug me one, it can sometimes calm down my nervous system. If, yeah. if it, like sometimes the touch, it can go either way, either it can like freak me out or it can feel comforting. Um, but even just someone like sitting and talking to you um, is often what I need. Um, you know, and and then it depends on the situation. Like if I'm home and Andrew's asking me, oftentimes what I need is for him to pick up some of the slack, right. To make the dinner, to walk the dog, to rub my back, to, you know, do more of the sort of caring for me things, but just out, like when I'm out in the wild in my daily, daily life, um, oftentimes (laughs) what I truly need is someone just to listen to me, like ask me, and then truly just listen to me and validate that this must be hard. Um, because otherwise- And like you said, believe you. Believe me. I mean, that's the number one thing. Even if in your mind you think this is a bunch of crap, um, just tell me that you believe me. Um, even better if you actually do believe me. But sometimes I just need you to tell me that what I'm experiencing is real because when you're disconnected from your body and no one else can really see that you're not well it's really easy to convince yourself that you're making this up um and that maybe if you just tried harder or got a little more sleep or would just go see that regular doctor or would take the antidepressant like magic you'd be healed Um, and so having someone just believe you can be so powerful yeah, and that comes down to
0: the validation piece of, like, you matter, you're important, your experience is true.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's huge. So I love the difference that you made, like, at home, like, if you're asking Andrew, like, compared to, like, being out in the world. When people, you know, when people ask me, is there anything that I can do for you, what I usually want to say is like, yeah, can you come make dinner with me? Or can you come grocery shop with me? Or can you just like come sit in and, and, and honestly, like cuddle with me on the couch watching TV, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a part of me that that feels too vulnerable, because <laughs> like, that's admitting that I need help and that I'm not okay.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's for me is definitely part of why I usually just say nothing. Thanks for asking because yeah, admitting one, you're admitting that you need help, which, you know, there's so much wrapped up in that. And like you feel weak, which is not at all true, but oftentimes we're existing in the irrational. Um, and there's a chance that they might not give you what you need. Yes. It's scary to put yourself out there because then what if they can't come over? What if they don't want to? What if they don't believe you? Um, And so it's safer. It feels safer to ask for nothing because then you can't be disappointed.
0: Yeah. And I honestly think that that has happened to me where I have said exactly what I needed and, you know, either friends or family members, like, you know, either they have an attitude that's kind of like, well, I don't want to be here if they do show up. Or just kind of like, I can't, and there's other priorities. And then that just kind of furthers along the script of like, I'm not important. I'm not a priority to people. I'm not – I don't matter to anybody. I'm on my – you know? Yeah.
1: So well, it also, I mean, part of it for me, it also feels like I, I'm the girl who cried wolf. Like if I'm sick every day, if every day right. is the worst day, well, then it's – do people just think I'm making it up or I'm just being dramatic? I mean, this happens – you know, I mean, mostly with Andrew, because obviously I live with him and he has to experience this every day. And also I wasn't this sick when we started dating. So, um, you know, it'll be like, oh, I have the worst headache of my life. He's like, really? Because yesterday you had the worst headache of your life. Um, And he's not saying that because he doesn't believe me or he's not compassionate, but he truly can't understand. Um, And so, but what I... What I hear when he says things like that is, oh, I shouldn't say anything. I have to deal with this alone. I shouldn't burden him with my illness. Um, He's going to think that I'm making it up. Um, And so then I just do suffer in silence because it seems easier than having to, you know, explain to or justify or convince anyone of my truth.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a great point of like, if you're sick every day, then it's like never ending. And then you tire people out and you see it on their faces and you see it in their being. And um, that's like a shitty feeling because the thing is, is like, I would love to say that that's all in my mind or that's all in someone else's mind that you're tiring people out. Um, But I think there's like a bit of truth to that as well. It's like when you're always sick day in and day out, and you're wanting to share that with someone who's not sick like there is an element that's going to burn them out about that right absolutely
1: i mean it's exhausting and this is something i try and remind myself like it's exhausting for me to be sick so it has to also be exhausting for the people in my life to be uh, the words i want to say is dealing with me but uh, which is kind of true i guess um but just to sharing the experience with you let's say right because you know it You know, like, and the example I I can really just use is Andrew because, you know, it's every day for him as well. Like, I, you know, there are times where we want to go out and do something and I can't. I can't walk or I am in too much pain or there's not a single restaurant in our town that I can go out to eat at. Um, And so, yeah, it impacts his life, not to the extent because he's not the sick person, but it does impact how he moves through his life. And so, yeah, it can be frustrating for him and exhausting. Um, And, you know, I've had a good reality check with that this summer because he's been going through some health issues. And it's really the first time he's experiencing anything like this. And I found myself many times feeling exhausted by it. Um, And this is just a short-term thing, right? And so I've really, it has been a good Giving me some good insights into how other people are feeling about me because there are times where I'm like, Oh, don't bring it up one more time. I don't want to hear about you being sick. Mm -hmm. Wait, but is that how I want him to treat me? And so, you know, I, I've had to like check myself a little bit and, and be more compassionate um, and sometimes just, you know, just listen or offer to be more helpful and also believe him when he's telling me his experience. Right. Cause I was finding myself, you know, getting caught up in like, oh, he's just being dramatic. This isn't really a big deal. I'm like, wait, <laughs> that's I, I don't. I would be heartbroken if he thought that about me. Right. Um, so how can I show up for him the way I would like him to show up for me? Yeah,
0: and that's a big that's a big piece to to things too, right? And um, I think I I think what really sometimes peeves me around relationships and being sick and having relationships despite that when people get tired of it, like you in the sense of like even getting tired of Andrew dealing with inconveniences around his health. Right. When you get tired of it, you get to break from it. Right. Like if I'm thinking like, you know, My mom and I, let's say. Well, when she gets tired of my illness, she gets to like tune out of it and go and live her life and not be ill, yet I'm still ill, yet you're still ill. Right. And sometimes that just feels like devastatingly unfair and there's like no meaning in it. You know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. so morbid. Cause you're like, okay, I get that everybody needs a break and not, we can't talk illness and cry all the time and like ruminate and go in circles and circles and circles and be in total dysregulation about how sick we are. And I get that people need breaks and can't always be there for me because they have to take care of themselves. However, there's a, a break. Yeah. I don't get a break. You don't break. get a break. Like, and that sucks. And there's I found little meaning to that. Do you, do you find any meaning in
1: it? And it's okay if
0: you say no too. Not,
1: I mean, not really. I mean, it's yeah. where, you know, I often, that's, that's the part of being chronically ill that I haven't really been able to like come to any deep understanding or acceptance of because yeah, we never get a break. All day, every day, even in my sleep, I'm dealing with this. I can't pause it. I can't, you know, I still have to function in my life, but there are times where I like feel like it's not fair that I have to function because I'm dealing with so much and I don't get to turn it off. I don't get to, you know, not pick up the phone to listen to myself talk about what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can try and pretend like it's not happening, but that just makes it worse. And so, yeah, it really, um, but it really seems unfair. And like, it I just don't really know how to, to have any acceptance around that. Um, it's not it really just, like inspirational,
0: right? Like there's no. no, there's no piece to this. That's like, oh, we can like put it in a beautiful, like bow with like a self-help. The universe has your back stamp. You know what I mean? Like it's not really. And that's yeah. where,
1: yeah, that's where like my um, spiritual practice and my chronic illness have ha- been in. There's been a lot of tension there for me. Yeah. um, Because, yeah, I can't meditate this away. I can't, there's no universal lesson here other than it really sucks and I really hate it and it feels really unfair and sometimes I feel like a victim. And that is all true and real for me. And, um, you know, it's not like, yeah, there's not the universe isn't trying to teach me something in the fact that I'm ill and I'm not ill because I haven't learned the lesson yet. I'm just sick and Mm -hmm. I hate it. And I wish that I wasn't Mm -hmm. and it's exhausting and I never get to take a break from it ever. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And the only lesson that I can see in it is learning how to feel your feelings. Like that's that's the only thing I can see because it's like it brings up jealousy for me. Like, I look at my friends or my family members who can just not be sick or who can take a break from my illness, even, or me trying to navigate when is an appropriate time to ask for help and when do I have to navigate and rely on myself? Like, you know, all of these different things that. Many people don't have to cope with and face and work through and show up for, right? Like I feel like intense jealousy and I'm the first to like fully admit that I have envy around that. I, I like literally like slobber
1: of jealousy around yeah. that. And I don't think, I mean, I do too. And, and I, I'm willing to guess many people that are dealing with the same issues we are feel the same way yeah. Um, because yeah, you, it, it feels unfair Um, And it feels like we got the short end of the stick and like, what, how, why am I being punished when everyone else is out there living their best lives? And for me, I also get feel intense jealousy around people who are chronically ill and are getting better. Um, Oh and, yes,
0: that's a whole other point
1: too. Yeah. yeah, and I feel, you know, there are times where I feel really shameful about that, but it also I mean it's true. If I, you know, people obviously I'm happy that people are getting better, right? I don't wish people to be ill. But then I get stuck in that comparison like why are they getting better? Why can't I get better? Um and then I compare, you know, our circumstances and our healing practices and I'm like, "Well, then I must be doing something wrong." And and how dare they get better and flaunt it in my face, Um, which is not what they're doing at all. But it can, I mean, it can be really, a really isolating journey to be on this chronic illness journey because yeah, people believe you, you can't take a break from it and everyone else gets to, it seems so easy for everyone else. Right. And
0: I, this is something I hear from my clients all the time. Like, well, why is it that so-and-so on Instagram is better? And it's like, we don't really know. Like, maybe she doesn't have the extensive trauma history that you have that also contributes to, like, having your adrenals, your endocrine, and your thyroid, like, in the triangle completely depleted. We don't really know why she can heal quicker than you And there. Cause there's so many different factors. Um, and it might be a completely different thing that she was dealing with. So that's not even comparable, but it's almost like, you know how people say like the FOMO on social media, like, Oh, they see their friends going to a party or going on a vacation or doing whatever. And you know, there's like this jealousy that's, that strikes. I find in the chronic illness community, um, that is amplified, but in a different way around who feels better faster.
1: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And I I mean, I've had to intentionally unfollow people and accounts um, and unsubscribe from blogs where the focus is on like the end, like the happy ending, um, because I was getting caught in the comparison of it and also stuck in like, I'm going to do exactly what they did because they healed. And, and I don't know if they healed. Right. And so I, for me, I've been much more drawn to in the last like year or so people and accounts and um, personal blogs of people sharing it while they're going through it, going through it um, instead of talking about what it's like on the other side, because I don't yeah. know if I'm ever going to get to the other side. And I'm so tired of trying to get to the other side. I literally just want to try and get through this moment.
0: Yeah. And I totally resonate with that because I mean, that's what right to heal is all about anyway. It's like, I don't care about your before and after picture. It's like, I want to know the, like the in between, that's where the real connection and relating happens. Like that's where the healing occurs when we're sharing our stories. Like it's inspiring to see a before and after picture, but I'm not moved by it. I don't really care for it. I care about the experience of it and the um, like mutual experience in terms of like the
1: similarities and how I can relate and not feel like I'm alone, right? Right. I mean, it goes back to, you know, what are we craving? We're craving being seen and we're craving validation.
0: Yeah, and exactly. You can't,
1: if if you aren't the, at the after yet, um, then you don't feel validated and seen when you're you're celebrating someone else's you know great results. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to know what it was like in at the beginning stages when they were, you know, still trying to figure out how to heal and when they couldn't get out of bed. Um, and at least for me, that's what I'm craving is knowing that someone else is going through this or has gone through this. Um, and I don't need to know their present state. I just need to know like that this is real. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: feel like this conversation is going to be really validating for other people. How do you feel?
1: I hope so. I mean, yeah. I know um, it's validating for me even just to talk to you about it. But mm-hmm. also, if this is a conversation that I was li- I was listening to at any point in my journey, I would have I would feel like, oh yeah, I, it's not just me. It's not in my head. There's other people feeling exactly how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not always pretty, and it's not always wrapped up in a nice like spiritual bow and it's not love and light it's like it's it, you know we're admitting things like we feel you know jealous when other people are getting better and right. we feel alone and we feel like people aren't showing up for us um those are things that we often just carry around the weight of it without actually acknowledging that it's happening yeah and bringing it to
0: light gives it you know takes it out of repression
1: so absolutely
0: That is healing within itself. It might not solve the entire issue, but it is is sure as heck makes it a little bit more comfortable.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing with chronic illness. Like no one can fix you, right? Mm -hmm. So, and you might not even be able to fix yourself and, you know, a doctor might not be able to fix you. It's not about the fixing. And that's where talking about it, listening to people, believing that that's literally all you can do. You can't make them better, but what you can do is just show up for them. Yeah, with whatever they need, and often what they need is just to be seen and heard.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, with that being said, let's shift gears to giving up on a dream you've wanted for a really long time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And yes. maybe it's layered into chronic illness. Um, but this is your first podcast interview as Stephanie and on Stephanie
1: the Coach. Yes um and that yeah. is actually really scary. Um, for me as I was thinking about like how am i going to introduce myself and like when i have to send a bio what am i going to say about myself because right. <laughs> for the past many years i've defined myself as stephanie either a health coach or uh you know meditation coach or a you know most recently a self care coach like that has been how i defined myself. Um and just recently um as in last month, I decided, I actually didn't really decide. It just happened. Like it just literally came pouring out of me one night. I just posted on Instagram that I wasn't going to coach anymore. And I didn't really think about it. I mean, I guess I had been kind of thinking about it for you know, a while, but not really giving much like, attention to it. It was just sort of in the back of my mind. And I was just posting like a random photo on Instagram and that's what I wrote. And then I hit post. And I thought, Oh my God, (laughs) I just quit my business. (laughs) Um, And it's been a really interesting process because it's something that I, um, for many years, it was all I talked about. It's all I worked towards. Um, It became like a huge part of my identity was growing this coaching business. And I thought it's what I wanted more than anything else in the world. Um, And I was willing to sacrifice for it and invest a lot of time and money into it. And I I just, in that moment, I think what I realized was like, I was faking it um, and I thought I wanted it. And then I just realized one day I didn't, um, or I didn't want it in the way that I had defined it for myself. Um, And there was a lot of fear in letting it go. Um, even after I hit that you know publish on that Instagram post i like oh my god, no one no one's liked it yet, no one 's commented, no one saw it I could delete it right I could take it all back mm-hmm. um, and but i didn't um And I spoke about it in a podcast episode and I wrote, you know, I wrote a newsletter about it and it's, I've received the most feedback of anything I ever did in my business about quitting my business. Um, (laughs) And so that was also really interesting. Because it was
0: real, right? right. Like it was, and, and you just said, you know, you were realizing that you were faking it and then you weren't faking it anymore. Right. And that's the thing, like the truth magnetizes people to us, no matter what it is.
1: Right. And I mean, it's not like I was, you know, I wasn't faking my passion for helping people. Yeah. And yeah. Of course. All those years. I really thought that's what I wanted. Um, You know, and part of it was like I bought into the whole like Instagram idealized version of what running your own business is. And like, oh, I'm going to just, you know, hit publish on a blog post and, you know, thousands of people are going to read it and share it. And I'm going to create a coaching program and then it's going to fill automatically. Um, And that might be some people's reality. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, but it wasn't happening for me. Um, And I was fighting against it for a really long time. And I was also deeply unhappy just in my life. And it was another way for me to distract from my reality, right? It was another way for me to have another thing, another title, another, um, piece of armor so that I didn't have to deal with what was really going on with myself. Right. And, you know, I, I started my business at the same time that I got really, really sick. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily a coincidence. Um, and so I was, you know, I have a full-time job. Um, it's not something I felt really like I had to hide that I had a full-time job the whole time I had this coaching business because coaches don't really talk about how they make money outside of coaching. And there are some full-time coaches. um, And then there's a lot of people that do it as like a side hustle. And even that notion, like, I don't want to hustle. I'm so tired. Like getting through life, brushing my teeth in the morning is a lot for me. So to then have to hustle in all of my free time to grow this business. I just realized one day, like I didn't want to do it anymore. Um, and that's not saying I don't like helping people and that I am not connected to, you know, service and support and sharing my truth. I just was trying to turn what was truly a passion into a business. Um, and for me, I realized like I was trying to fit into a mold that I just don't fit into. Um, Mm -hmm. And so my dream of being a coach and like having my own business and setting my own schedule, I never really thought about what that truly meant. Um, I just thought it would be easy and fun and I wouldn't have to work. Um, (laughs) I don't know if that is true. Which is so
0: funny because that is the opposite of having a coaching business. Like it's the opposite. Yet people sell it as like you know, don't work essentially. And and yes, there is flexibility, flexibility, a hundred percent. And I'm talking from a a standpoint of like, I know for sure that this is what I want to do, but I also like understand deeply the amount of work it takes to make this successful.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think at the beginning, I didn't really have realistic expectations. Like I definitely bought into a lot of those things you see like on social media, like do this and you'll, you know, all of a sudden have, you know, A six figure business overnight. Mm -hmm. Um, And even though, like, I'm a smart person and I'm pretty practical, like, rationally, Mm -hmm. I understand that that is not really that likely to happen to every person just because they decide they want to be a coach. Mm -hmm. But I think because I was so unhappy with where I was at the time, like, I was grasping for any. Thing that would make me happy. And so I hooked into being a coach and having a successful business that's going to make me happy. And it just never did. Um, and I actually really like my job and I was fighting against the job I have all that time. I was a coach. Like I was resenting having to go to work every day because if I could just be home, then my coaching business would grow. Right. And, you know, over the years you know several people well-intentioned but had suggested that I just step away from my actual job because then my coaching business would grow right like oh having this job that's preventing the clients from coming and if you just take a leap um, then the clients will come maybe that would have been true um, or maybe I would have defaulted on my student loans Mm -hmm. I'll never know because I never took the leap but Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I've just realized I actually like my job. I am coaching college students, basically. Yeah. Um, I get paid a permanent salary for it. I have benefits. I, I like my work. And I also have a lot to deal with. I have this chronic illness. I need a lot of space to manage it. I am in a relationship. So I, I mean, it's not just me living my best life over here. Like I have a, a full life that I want to li- lead. And so I just had to get honest with myself and say, what are my priorities? And the thing that was the lowest of my priorities was growing my coaching business. Yeah. And so I could keep fighting it. I could keep trying.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and even though I just knew I didn't want to, like I had a conversation um, with our mutual friend, friend, Danielle, um, over the summer around how to grow my business and after at the end of me telling her all the things I had done and all the things I wanted to do and all the reasons why I wasn't successful yet, she said to me, Steph, I don't think you want to be a coach. Mm. And I was so angry Mm. in that moment. Mm -hmm. Like how that, no, that's not true. Um, Here's all the reasons why. And then I think that is what sort of started this internal dialogue that I had of like, huh is she right? Um, and she was absolutely right. I, but that must've been triggering. It was. Yeah. I mean, I was really angry. Um, and I felt like I had to work even harder to prove to her and to myself that I did want to be a coach and that I was a good coach. And I actually think I was a good coach. Um, but it's just the running of the business. The, I just didn't want to do it anymore. Um, And it just wasn't what I was passionate about. I just never, I set this goal, you know, six years ago, I am going to be a coach. Period. Didn't really know what that meant. I didn't know how I was going to go about doing it. I didn't even know if I wanted to do it, but I set the goal and then it was full steam ahead. I never questioned it at any point. Like I I liked being able to identify myself as a coach. Um, You know, every moment I was like, I went to work, I came home and it was like, okay, I have to write a blog post tonight. Okay. I have to do a social media post tonight. Okay. I have to do this and I have to launch this program and um, I have to teach this workshop. And so I just kept going through the motions, never asking myself if this was how I wanted to spend my time. Mm. Um, And then I just one day realized this isn't how I want to spend my time. And I actually have, you know, goals that I want to achieve that aren't related. Um, And so I have for a long time wanted to go back to school and become a therapist. Um, And so I was trying to like use my coaching business to fulfill that actual goal. um, And it just couldn't. And so I also knew I couldn't, you know, live a full life and a job and be in a relationship and be sick and be in school and be running a business. So something had to give. And so I had to do the scary thing, which is admit I didn't want the thing that I had told everyone for years that I wanted. Yeah. And how do you recover from that?
0: Um,
1: You know, it's actually really interesting because I thought it was going to be a lot harder. Um, The hard part was that the admitting it part, right? Yeah. So, the connection
0: with yourself. Right.
1: So, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, every time I would start to think about it, I would usually like re-shift my focus and be like, okay, I'm going to launch a new program this month or, okay, you know, I'm going to write a blog post or I'm going to do this thing. So I just kept trying, like every time I got that little bit of, you know, internal voice saying, you don't want this, you don't want this. I'd have to, I, I would try and prove myself wrong um and then I, I i honestly don't really know what, why or how or how those words came out of me that day i wrote the instagram post i had zero intention of doing it it wasn't even something i was consciously thinking about i just usually like open up um the note section of my phone when i'm writing like a longer instagram post and write it in there and then paste it in and i just wrote it i didn't think about it um i was probably you know, my intention was to like probably write, like, something inspirational or, like, a quote or something. Um, And so it it was one – and there have been a few moments in my life where I haven't really been aware that something was happening or that I was saying something or it wasn't my plan and then I just did it. Um, And those are the truest moments. So for me, like, leading up to that um, sharing was the hard part. But since then, Um, Yeah, every now and then I feel like a little uncomfortable or scary or like maybe I shouldn't have done that. But most of the time, I'm either not thinking about it at all or I actually feel free.
0: Mm.
1: That's how I know that it's right. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean – I mean, wrapped up in there is also like feeling like my business failed. And if I had a successful coaching business, would I, you know, so confidently step away from it? Uh, I don't know. Um, But the truth is my business wasn't making any money um, and hadn't been for a while. And is that because it wasn't meant to be? Is it because I wasn't trying hard enough? Who knows? But, um, you know, it just felt right to let it go. Um, and re refocus my energy, because now I have more more time and more energy to invest in the things that I actually am liking, like my podcast. Um, you know, uh, honestly, I originally came up with the idea of a podcast as a way to then maybe convert people to you know listeners to clients and thinking about ways to monetize my podcast. but I actually just really like having the conversations and I have no intention of, you know, it being a a business opportunity. I'm just doing it because I actually like it and I feel free to do that now. Um, Which is amazing because when you actually admit to
0: yourself, (laughs) what is bringing you joy and what is bringing you more struggle and stress, you get to go back to the roots of what is giving you freedom in your life.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and for me, you know, it, it really wasn't about like the coaching. It was the coaching was a way for me to distract myself from myself. Yeah, um, and it was also a way for me to feel seen and validated and part of the community. Like, you know, I, I decided I wanted to be a coach when I became friends with a lot of people who were coaches. Right. I didn't, it, it's not something I came to on my own. I saw everyone else doing it and I thought I want to be a part of that. Um, And I, you know, want to, I want to leave my job. And, um, so when I became a coach, I was in a different job, um, that, yeah, I needed to leave, but I, I looked at being a coach as my salvation, um, and a way to be connected to other people and, and have a title. Like, how can I classify myself? Well, I'll call myself a coach, um, instead of like just being me. Yeah.
0: And now you've kind of come to a place where you can just be you,
1: right? And and it takes so much pressure off for me. And again, this is not everyone's experience. I'm not saying every you know every coach out there needs to not be a coach anymore. Right. Um, like you, this you know, this is truly what you want to do. Mm. I've known for most of my life that what I really wanted to do was be a therapist. Mm. Um, And I couldn't afford to go to graduate school for the program um, before. So I chose like, you know, a backup plan. Yeah, an alternative. Yeah, yeah. Right. So now I'm in a place where my job is paying for my degree. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, getting honest with myself of the type of life I want to live and what my goals actually are. and letting go of the comparison and you know the stories wrapped up in it and just you know being truthful with myself has created so much less tension in my body which is what I need to be able to also heal I need to reduce stress and exist more in joy and happiness and have more rest Um, and now I don't feel like I have to spend every free moment figuring out how I'm going to make money in my business yeah
0: and that must be so freeing and what I'm what I love about this conversation too is that you know you and I may have completely different desires right um around like online business for example yet we can still keep our connection Mm -hmm. right and I think that what you were speaking to, like everybody I knew was a coach and I wanted to belong and I wanted to be in a community and I wanted to, you know, do a form of what I truly wanted to do. Right. Right. Um, I think stepping away from that probably for you meant a lack of connection that you really needed. And it seems at least that you've, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, it seems at least that you've reconciled that and notice that even if your desires and your wants and your needs are different than other people, it doesn't mean that you lose connection with those people. It just means that everybody gets their truth and we can all listen and relate to where we find similarities, but also in, like get inspired by where we see differences too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I you know there was part of me that certainly entered into the coaching business as a way to build connection and letting go of it. I was afraid um, of maybe losing those connections, which the opposite has has been true. um, but also, you know, it goes back to also being connected to my own value and my own voice. Like I felt like as a coach, I had the authority to say something, but as Stephanie, I didn't. Um, Ooh, yeah, and so letting go of that coach side of me and just like, sharing, whether it's writing a blog post or, you know, speaking on a podcast or, um, you know, writing something on Instagram as myself instead of like I'm coaching you or I'm providing you like, you know, a a free, free lesson um, to just share like my actual truth um, has been scary, but also again, just freeing because it's I'm validating for myself that just because I'm a human being means that I am worthy of sharing my perspective. Like I don't need a title to have something to say.
0: Mm. Ooh, That's powerful. So we'll end there for today. Thank you so much for being here with us before we hop off. Is there anything that you want to tell the people that we haven't said? I think we've said a lot, but is yeah, there anything else? Yeah, definitely
1: have else? said a lot. I mean, I think just a reminder that your experience, whatever it is in this moment, is real, and you're entitled to it, even if it's not pretty, um, even if that you know you can't wrap a bow on it. Um, you're still entitled to that being true to you, um, and and just reminding yourself of that, and asking for help when you need it. And that could be if you're dealing with a chronic illness, it could just be, you know, you're living your life. Um, The more you can feel like your experience is valid and worthy, I think the more you can feel peace in your existence.
0: Yeah. Oof. I feel like this conversation just made me feel better. So thank you so much. Me too. For getting on the pod with us. If you're listening and you liked this conversation with Stephanie, Stephanie, will you let us know where we can find you on the interwebs and give um details to where we can connect with you further?
1: Yeah, so you can um Follow me on my blog, which is spirited well And then on Instagram, I am my first and last name, which is Stephanie Kerlick, um, which is hard to spell. So um, if you could link to it in your show notes, that would probably be the easiest way to find me. A hundred percent.
0: So if you also listened and enjoyed the show in general, make sure to subscribe on iTunes and share it with your friends. That is how the word gets out and how we can feel more connected to ourselves, to each other, and to the world we live in. I will talk to you next time. I have been Emily Obey, and as usual, I'm so glad that you took your time and spent it with us.